friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. We're live. Pew, pew. Live for case Both updates. Both with cereal scented candles as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, I love my... <sighs> it's called... It's literally just called cereal, but it smells like Fruit Loops. Yours is called cereal. Mine's called Crunch. I love it. I do too. Cinnamon, vanilla, and maple. Oh, I didn't even see that it said that there. <laughs> I don't even know if mine says any flavors. It literally just calls it cereal, cereal, but it's like sticking your head in a box of Fruit Loops. Is it like one of those ones that when you open it, it like had cereal, like... Nope. In the top of it. I love those candles. I've never owned one, but I like those ones that when you open them, there's like texture in the top. Yeah, yeah. So it's like visually appealing too. Oh, love. No. I've been trying not okay. to spend too much money on candles. So I'm like really making why? them last. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why I was so aggressive about that. I just, I don't know. <laughs> Watching my budget this year. Yeah. Fair. I always okay. budget, but I don't always like. I've always budgeted. How do I word this? I've always budgeted, but maybe not as like severely as I am now. Like as savings heavy as opposed to just like budgeting. And just like more being aware of what I'm spending money on. And the fact of the matter is I don't need to spend a shitload of money on candles. I can make them last a little bit longer and... You know, yeah, fair. I mean, it's not just candles. I think there's it's something just a... to me that just like bring me a lot of joy. So I like search out clearance racks at Winners and get candles that way and stuff. So I totally agree, though. And I think that it's just more being mindful of like that I don't always need to buy things. Basically, yeah. That's really all it comes down to. I feel like this year, every conversation I've had so far, like that's about something important or just like something in life. I feel like every conversation comes back to, like, intention. Mm -hmm. And it's just, like, this year should just be about... I'm putting it about my intentions. Like, I just want to think things through a little bit more, make smarter decisions. So I don't want to set some big elaborate goal. I just want to be mindfully intentional this year. Absolutely. No, I love that. Yeah. And I agree. I just don't think it puts too much pressure, but it makes me feel like I'm bettering myself. Yeah, 1% every day. That's the name of the game, baby. Pew, pew. 1% better every day, starting with my candle purchases. No, I'm kidding. I actually, like, don't, it's not like a problem or anything. It's just, I was actually at <laughs> Winners the other day and I was going to buy a candle. And then I was like, you know what? I think I have a couple of candles at home that I could burn and I really don't need to buy this candle. So I'm just not going to. So, one thing I'm also looking into getting too, because it makes your candles last like, 500 times longer is just a candle warmer Mm. i was watching laura lee's amazon finds recently okay in the background while i was getting ready one day and she has this it's like a little small lamp that sits over your candle okay and it just keeps it kind of warm and it keeps the scent going constantly kind of like a wax burner but it doesn't actually melt your candle interesting and i think that that would just be a really wise way for me to make my dollar go further yeah because that costs like $35, $35, which sure, still a luxury purchase, but a Bath and Body Works candle is like $24 if you just go buy one at regular price. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I never buy Bath and Body Works candles. Those are not the candles that I'm purchasing, but I, I do, get but it. like only four days a year when they're on sale. My la- The place that I get my lashes done, which is not a luxury that I'm willing to give up, don't come for me. Fair. Um, sells like locally made candles in like little mason jars with lids. And I always, I got in the habit for a while there where like I get my lashes done once every two weeks and I was buying a candle like every time or every second time, which is just too many. Are they like black woods? No, I do have one of those, but no, I don't remember the brand. I'll have to. I really like that company. They're local as well. And they make a good candle. They do make good candles. Okay, this yeah. has gotten... Anyway, this isn't a candle podcast. I was going to say, this has gotten really candle heavy. Um... Oh, <laughs> but this is totally leading into this episode, but I think it's funny for us to note. Um, and you pointed this out to me. We had the honor of having a short article made about us for the Jonathan Bruce episode we did. Um, but I like that the last sentence in it is like, 
uh, pretty much like educational stuff starts at nine minutes. Yeah. It's like they prefaced where to fast forward to be part of you know our what? case. Somebody actually I don't left, mind it. Somebody actually left us a review. I don't remember how long ago it was now. Basically suggesting that we put that in our episode description and maybe it's something we should consider. Yeah. We really could. Um, but at the same time, we li- we like to have a little chat before we get going. That's just how we are. That's just what we do here at Podcast by well, Proxy. let us know, guys. Would you like at the beginning of the episode description to say, case starts at blank and then the description? Because it's really small potatoes for us. But if it makes your life better... I feel like we could so do you're not that. hitting that stinking little 10, 15 second skip button to see where we stop. I get it. Yeah. It would really solve the problem of the reviews we the get saying reviews. that they don't. Yeah. Because <laughs> ne- I swear the only negative reviews we get are like they talk too much at the beginning, which like some. That is the consistent bad review we get. But that is our style of show. But then on the flip side, we get a lot of reviews saying that they love our conversation. And so it's like. It's just not for yeah, everyone. We're just chilling on a couch together. We're gal palin. Anyways, we could do that. But today we're talking about case updates. Um, I have about five case updates to go through, and then I think Katie might have a couple of small ones. I too. Um, a lot of you emailed me us about the Byron car update. Yeah, we know it's coming. Um, I did see your emails though. Keep your case suggestions coming. We love them. Um, so we are going to, of yeah. course, go over that. But before we get started, just a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening. Apple Podcasts, Spotify is the best. Um, follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Send us a Gmail for case suggestions or fill out the little linky in our profile. Also send candle suggestions for Katie. <laughs> send candle suggestions uh, to G- our Gmail. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not kidding. She's not kidding, guys. Uh, but I think we can hop right into it. Otherwise, I concur. Now Let's that do we've the gotten thing. our candle rant over with. Hey, we're at seven minutes. We're always six to nine minutes of, you know, us time. It's true. Okay, yeah. so yeah, we're going to start. I will preface this by saying previous case <clears throat> update episodes that we've done in the past have been like just updates on cases we did the following year um and there were a few cases beyond that that required updates so i'm kind of just doing a general case updates episode it's not necessarily a case we covered in 2023 i will tell you when we covered the case just in case you haven't heard it you want to go back and listen whatever get caught up um but we do have a few so i'm gonna start off with buyer and car because this one was the most requested shocker uh, that we got to our email on july 26 2022 we covered the case of 36 year old byron carr who was murdered on november 11th 1988 at the time we covered the case it was considered pei's so prince edward island's only unsolved murder which is cray cray Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know. I just like still can't wrap my head around that. I'm honestly just going to look up the population of PEI because I think that would just make me feel better. But like we live on a little island and we have way more than one unsolved murder, you know? Yeah, but I don't think our people are as like we have nice people here and they're still not as nice as people in PEI. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) So. On January 25th, 2024, just one month ago, uh, at 11.55 a.m. Atlantic time, 56-year-old Todd Joseph Gallant, who also goes by Todd Joseph Irving, was arrested and charged with one count of first-degree murder and one count of interfering with human remains in connection with Byron's murder. This case had been unsolved for 35 years, and Chief Brad McConnell stated the arrest was made based on significant forensic evidence that led police to believe Gallant is responsible for Byron's murder. Um, At the time of Byron Carr's murder, Todd Gallant or Todd Irving would have been 21 years old. 
The specific charges read as follows. Did commit first degree murder on the person of Byron Carr contrary to section 212 AI and section 218.1 of the Criminal Code of Canada and amendments thereto. And did improperly interfere with the human remains to Byron Carr by stabbing the remains of Byron Carr contrary to section 175B of the Criminal Code of Canada. Police also arrested a second person. However, that person was later released and an investigation continues to determine whether they had any involvement in the case. And we don't know who that is. At this time, anyways. Jeez. Uh, that is a lot of legal jargon in that one, too, though. Yes. Ooh. What? No, the legal jargon. Oh. It was just a heavy one. Yeah. That was all. Yes. I was just saying, ooh. Uh, so Todd Gallant's lawyer appeared on his behalf in a Charlottetown courtroom on February 1st, 2024, and the case was pushed for a month. Attorney, uh, so his attorney, Chris Montague, spoke to the judge and confirmed that Todd Gallant had applied for legal aid and that at the time they were waiting for disclosure from the prosecution and that they weren't ready to proceed. Um, so the defense and the Crown agreed to push the case over for a month to allow time to go over the evidence, and the case was adjourned until March 7th of 2024. So that will be coming up oh, wow. in the next few weeks. It's just before my dad's birthday. Yes. So as a reminder for this case, again, you can go back and listen to it if you haven't already. We covered it on July 26, 2022, but Byron Carr taught English at Montague Regional High School. He was strangled in his home with a towel in the early morning hours of November 11th, 1988. His body was eventually discovered with multiple stab wounds from a kitchen knife and a message left on the wall that read, I will kill again, written in pen. Um, his wallet was also stolen. Byron had last been seen at around 3 a.m. on November 11th, and investigators always felt that Byron had consensual sex with a young man that he brought home and presumed that person to be the killer. Uh, they theorized this based on the underwear found at the scene with male DNA on it that was not Byron's and the fact that there was no forced entry into the home. I get that there's no forced entry, but, like, uh, it's still, like, so aggressive. Yeah. There's no way that's just, like, I don't know. I just. I think they just believed that he brought somebody home and allowed them into the home rather than somebody, okay, like, breaking in or yeah, something. like, someone was in the home with him. It's just, I even have a hard time believing that with how, like, violent that was, that, like, it was even someone he knew. Like, right. I don't know. Uh, so during a press conference on January 26th of this year, Katie's birthday, Byron's brother John Carr thanked the police and members of the public for their assistance in the investigation, stating, quote, it's been a long 35 years. We're sad that the case went on for 35 years. Both our parents have passed away and weren't here to take part in this process today. We know they're with us in spirit. This would have been very important to them as the next step in pursuing justice for Byron. Um, his brother also said he believes the stigma around being gay in the 80s was part of the reason the investigation initially did not gain much traction. Byron, at the time, had not actually come out to his parents, um, and so they learned of his sexual orientation along with everyone else um, as a result of his murder. His murder shocked PEI and left many of its LGBTQ members living in fear. I'm not surprised. I mean, based on their small population, there's probably a very small group of LGBTQI plus members that now are feeling completely unsafe. Yeah, and it actually... And he was... No, keep going. Sorry, he was 20, right? He was 36. The person who killed him, Todd Gallant, was 21. Jeez. Um, and it actually reminds me of a documentary I'm currently in the middle of watching... Um, oh, and what is about that? a murder in Australia? I'm just trying to f- remember what it's called and where you're watching it on Disney Plus. Okay, it's on Disney Plus. Um, it's the case of Scott Johnson. 
Okay, it's called Never Let Him Go. But they talk a lot in the documentary itself about the stigma around being gay in the 80s and, like, all these gay bashings and things that took place in Australia. And it's very interesting. I'm still in the middle of watching it. But as I was doing this case update and they were talking about, like, the stigma around being gay in the 80s, it just reminded me of this documentary. And, like, they do really paint a good picture. Um yeah. I feel like I've started this. As soon as you said the name of it, I could picture the cover. And when I Googled it, it's exactly what I thought. Mm -hmm. So. So anyway, just another documentary if you're interested in kind of going a little bit further into that um, culture. But yeah. So Todd Joseph Gallant, the person who was charged with the murder of Byron Carr, was previously convicted for a break and enter in PEI in 1987, so just one year before he is said to have murdered Byron. He is also believed to have been living in Charlottetown in 1988, but he relocated to Texas and then Arkansas in the States after the murder. He did not oh, return. That's quite a big change. Okay. Yeah, he did not return to PEI in Canada until 2022. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, and Todd Gallant has criminal records in Canada, Texas, and Arkansas. Wow. Police Chief okay. Brad McConnell said in the press conference that genetic genealogy was used to match Ooh. the DNA from the crime scene using the underwear DNA that had been taken. Um, but they had never been able to match it to anyone in their, like, crime databanks. Police saved this DNA over the years in the hopes that it would become useful to solving the case one day. And the police chief was quoted saying, Genetic genealogy is a game changer in how we investigate major crimes. We're seeing some amazing results across the country and across North America. I just still am so impressed that people and officers, again, we don't know what they knew, but, like, had the wherewithal to maintain certain to evidence to such a standard to be able to use it for testing, you know, 20, 30 years later. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Yeah. The Charlottetown police was assisted by two companies, um, Windham Forensic Group and Convergence Investigative Genetic Genealogy In this aspect of the investigation, um, they used two genetic databases, GEDmatch, um, which we've (laughs) talked about because we learned a lot about it at CrimeCon, and Family Tree DNA. I registered myself because I had done a 23andMe, so I uploaded my raw data. So, yes. You know, so we, the more you know. We did what talk about GEDmatch in our CrimeCon episode of the show and kind of like the information on how to upload your results and things Raw like data. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so GEDmatch has actually been used in this way since 2018 and it claims to have solved more than 400 cases using it the information that it has. Crazy. A few other cases that we have covered that have been solved using genetic genealogy in Canada include the 1975 murder of Sharon Pryor and the murder of 9-year-old Christine Jessup. So those are two Other cases on our feed that we have covered that have been solved using genetic genealogy. Yeah, it's just super impressive what they can do with potentially even degraded samples. It's so cool. Well, and I think we're going to, like, I say, we. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of this. We already have started seeing a lot more cases actually being solved using genetic genealogy um, because there's no laws in Canada against using that information. Um... And when people upload their information to these, like, websites, you actually, like, accept that law enforcement could use it one day. Like, most people want to help, right? So, yeah, out of, like, the big ones, I think there's only, like, one or two that don't, um, within their terms and conditions, Mm -hmm. say that they're going to do so. Otherwise, pretty much any that you use, you're agreeing to that. Yeah, so... It's great. It's a really good, really, really... Thanks, Paul Holes. It's huge advancement in how police are solving crime like we've never seen before, and it's really cool. Well, I think, too, like anything else, people were just, like, hesitant to trust it because it was new, and now we've seen some very high-profile cases use it and see the benefits, so I'm hoping, like you said, that more people will use it Mm -hmm. and trust the technology because... 
it is good. It is reliable. Yeah. But yeah, that is the update on the Byron Carr case. Solved after 35 years. And PEI yeah, is now back to ever. having zero unsolved murders. <laughs> and let's hope they keep it that way. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> good for them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, good for them. Proud good of you. Good for them. Proud of you. <laughs> Proud of you. Um, PEI. Yeah, so that is, that is it for Byron Carr. I'm really, really happy for his family. And amazing it's amazing what science can do well and the fact that i think a lot of people after like 20 years kind of think i'm probably never going to get an answer so 30 35 40 years later to be getting answers is amazing yeah i think if there's any dna evidence whatsoever that police have held we can kind of throw that out the window now that you're never going to get an answer after a certain amount of time yeah yeah yeah, and I think that we can be so thankful for all those people that advocated for, like, their evidence to be held on to properly mm-hmm. and for their, like, stations or detachments to be run properly and be very organized. Yeah. Okay, the next case that I have isn't necessarily an update per se. Um, I just wanted to bring attention to this case again because it's still very much unsolved and there are still people working very hard to try and find answers. So... Back on December 7th, 2021, so it's been a while since we covered this one, we covered two cases of missing people at the time. So one was Shannon Doe White, who was missing from Kamloops, and then the other was Naomi Onatera, who was missing out of Vancouver, um, who has now been found, and that's cases no longer. Yeah, we have some conclusion to that case. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Shannon Doe White. Um, Shannon Doe White has been missing from Kamloops, B.C. since November 1st of 2021. Shannon White left the Lower Sahali neighborhood where she lived at around 8 a.m. on the day she went missing, and she normally arrived at her workplace, which was a car dealership on Notre Dame Drive at by 8.30 a.m. However, she never showed up for work that morning. Her Jeep was ultimately found at the intersection of Nicole Avenue and 3rd Avenue, which is across from the Royal Inland Hospital, one day later on November the 2nd. Investigators also received information at the time indicating that Shannon's SUV had traveled west of the city for approximately 45 minutes before she was supposed to have arrived at work. So we okay. we covered this whole yeah I just forgot a lot of these details case and really nothing has happened since we covered it which is super yeah. sad that we still know nothing about where Shannon might be. Um, however, since the initial investigation into her disappearance, a group of four people in Kamloops with dogs, including retired paramedic Mike Ritzy, said in June 2023 that they had been gathering with their dogs regularly to search for Shannon for more than a year. Um, So this group is known as Search, Recovery, and Detective Canines. They are a BC nonprofit organization that conducts search operations for missing people in the province. Um, This group has conducted over 30 search operations in total for Shannon alone in various parts of Kamloops. That's a lot. Thank you, guys. Jeez, a lot of searches. It's incredible. Randy McLeod, who is also a volunteer and a a retired paramedic, sorry, for the organization, says the volunteers try to thoroughly cover all of the areas that are suggested by police. According to the organization's BC website, all four search dogs whose names are Ranger, Mara, Rogue, and Stella have undergone training to search and detect human remains in wilderness areas. In addition to looking for Shannon, the volunteer group has also assisted in the search for Ryan Stuka, whose case we also covered on April 12th of 2022. Um, And actually an anniversary just passed for Ryan um, for the amount of time that he has been missing. My mother-in-law is about to drive out here in a couple weeks, and I actually want to ask her to give me an update on the billboard situation out there because... You couldn't miss them a few years ago or last year. Right. So I just hope after all the snow we've had and, you know, heavy winds that 
they're still up and in good condition. Yeah. Yeah, so the the six-year anniversary of Ryan Stuka going missing from um, Sun Peaks, B.C. Sun Peaks. just passed yesterday since we're recording this. We're recording this on February 18th. The anniversary of his disappearance is on the 17th. Um, and the group has also participated in searches for Madison Scott, whose case we covered on June 19th, 2023. Um, at the time we covered Madison's case, her remains had actually been found, um, but they obviously assisted in searches for her prior to that. Yeah. Like I said, Ryan Stuka went missing from Sun Peak Ski Resort uh, in February of 2018 on the 17th, and he remains missing to this day. Shannon White's father, Gerald White, lives in Hamilton, Ontario, and said because he cannot come to Kamloops regularly, he relies on these volunteer groups as his eyes, ears, and feet on the ground. As a reminder, Shannon White is described as having blonde hair, green eyes, and stands 5'5", five five, weighing 180 pounds. Anyone with information on her whereabouts is asked to contact Kamloops RCMP at 1250-828-3000 and reference file number 2021-38386. Yeah, that's so sad. Like, I can't imagine what it's like. Well, okay, I say I, say I can't imagine. I can temporarily. But it's like these families who just have no information. Yeah, the ones where people just seemingly vanish... And, of course, we know they didn't just vanish. They have to be somewhere. They're so weird. But they're so sad. Like, I mean, they're all sad. Every case that we cover is sad. But I think that element, like you said, of just having no information, like nothing, there's no closure. Yeah. There's no, your your time just kind of, like, stands still. Yeah, and I think we hear a lot of the time, like, especially for our elderly family members, like, a lot of the time, like, it fucking kills them. Like, it does. Mm -hmm. It is what takes mm -hmm. them out at the end of the day. That not knowing and no answer and stressing all the time. Yeah. My lord, that's got to be miserable. Yeah, and so the next case update that I'm going to cover is actually uh, another one where we have not found this person. Um, we may have a little bit more information into, like, what might have happened to them, but we still, their whereabouts is still very much unknown. Um, so this is the case of Elnaz Hajtamiri. We I figured you were going to do that one. Yeah. We covered the case of Elnaz Hajtamiri on April 24th, 2023. Uh, Elnaz was forcibly taken from a relative's home in Wasaga Beach, Ontario, by three masked men dressed in fake police gear on the evening of January 12th, 2022. Prior to that, she had been attacked with a frying pan in the underground parking garage of her home on December 20th, 2021. After she was abducted in Wasaga Beach a month later, it was reported that the men allegedly drove away with her in a white 2016 to 2022 model Lexus RX 350 SUV. Elnaz has not been seen or heard from since. Since our episode aired... Muhammad Lilo, who is Elnaz's ex-boyfriend, has actually been charged with first-degree murder in relation to her disappearance, along with multiple other accused. The charges were yeah, I was laid... shocked to see how many people were accused in this. So many. I think they said they have upwards of like 10 suspects That's and people crazy. involved in the whole thing. Mind you, yeah, if she was like kidnapped, taken somewhere or something, like it, yeah... But, oh, my God, yeah. that's this poor woman. So the murder charge was laid in November of 2023, nearly two years after she was kidnapped from the Wasaga Beach home. Lilo and others were previously charged with kidnapping in connection to her abduction and attempted kidnapping in connection with the prior assault involving a frying pan. Um, these charges confirm that the police now presume Elnaz to be deceased. And we do talk about some of the other suspects in our original episode for this case. So if you haven't listened to it already, I highly recommend taking... Isn't there like six of them at that time? Yeah, I think at least six at that time. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. 
In January 2024, it was reported that Mohamed Lilo had actually hired Paul Bernardo's former lawyer, Anthony G. Bryant, to defend him against the murder charges. Um, yeah. Okay. No, yeah. Not much more on that. Just we'll leave it. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Investigators believe that Mohamed Lilo is the common thread between the December 2021 frying pan attack and Elnaz's disappearance weeks later. He has been in custody since his arrest in July of 2022. Um, and like I said, police have also charged or identified 10 other people in connection with this case. That's crazy. Yeah. Two of these suspects yeah. still remain at large, which we did speak about in our original episode. Mm -hmm. So that's Sukpreet Singh and Deshaun Davis. Police have yet to identify one suspect that they believe was with Deshaun Davis and another suspect, Crystal Lawrence, when they were captured on security video in um, the Quebec area around the time El Naz went missing. They are also looking for another person of interest who, according to police, may have been renting a vehicle tied to the case. One of the Ontario women who had been arrested and charged in the kidnapping case, Dominic Ewan, was arrested on April 3rd um, and charged with kidnapping, fraud, and possession of property obtained by crime. And the Crown ultimately stayed the charges in October of 2023. They offered no explanation for this decision, um, but charges are usually stayed when the judge or the Crown decides that it essentially is against the public interest for the case to go forward. So mm -hmm. I believe at the time we covered the episode, um, that specific person, Dominic Ewan, had been arrested and charged for kidnapping um, and the other charges, but those charges have been stayed at this time. Okay. An Ontario Provincial Police people. spokesperson said at the time of Mohamed Lilo's first-degree murder charge that the investigation remains active and ongoing and that the OPP continues to investigate in order to find out what happened to El Naz to provide answers to her family. When they were asked if any remains had been found or if investigators believe El Naz was dead based on the first-degree murder charge, um, the spokesperson directed questions to the Ministry of the attorney general and said all they could say is that they continue to ask the public for information on El Naz's whereabouts. So from previous cases we've covered when we hear that there's a first degree murder charge, but there's like really tight lipped otherwise in my experience, that usually means that some type of copious amount of blood has been found indicating that there's a like the likelihood of like loss of life from an injury mm -hmm. is high yeah i mean i feel like it could be anything it could be like a photo on one of their phones right yeah like it really could be um a myriad of things it doesn't necessarily mean that they found her it just means that they have reason to believe that she is deceased at the hands yeah, of this she's person. she's no longer alive. OPP, so the Ontario Provincial Police Detective Inspector John Power told C TV News in January 2024 that the lengths the OPP and policing partners have contributed to try and locate El Naz has been unprecedented. Police are offering a $100,000 reward for anyone who provides information that will lead to El Naz's whereabouts. Anyone with information is asked to call the OPP at 1-888-310-1122 or the dedicated tip line 1-833-728-3415. Um, and I will leave the numbers for all of these in the episode description. Yeah. Okie dokie artichokey. Because, yeah, definitely, like we said before, the smallest detail could be what connects the dots or what somebody needs to officially press charges or something. Mm -hmm. So, But I feel like that's a pretty big case update, somebody being charged with first-degree murder. I mean, before it was like they were talking like potentially she was just being held somewhere, she had been kidnapped. So I feel like charging somebody with first-degree murder is a very big update. It's a very big plot twist. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, I had, do have an update for a case that you covered, actually. Um, one of your Vaughn unsolved cases. It's not necessarily an update that the case has been solved or anything like that, but more information has definitely come out about what the police do know and what they have found and information that they are looking for from the public. So you had covered two cases out of the Vaughan, Ontario area on August the 30th, 2022. The nightclub killing and the Asian couple in the dumps. So yes, the couple, Kwok Tran and Christy Nguyen, uh, both from Markham, Ontario, Since the episode aired, the York Regional Police have announced a $50,000 reward for information that leads to the arrest of Fong Tan Nguyen, which I believe you did talk about, who is wanted for two counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of Kwok Tran and Christy Nguyen. Um, A Canada-wide arrest warrant is still very much in effect for Fong Tan, um, who may have the same last name but has no relation to Christy Nguyen, which, again, you did go over in your episode Um, police say he is considered armed and dangerous he boarded a flight to Mexico in September 2021 after allegedly murdering the couple at an industrial mall Kwok Tran 37 and Christy Nguyen 25 were a couple that was last seen um, at an industrial mall located at 111 Sunway Boulevard in Vaughan Ontario at approximately 5.30 p.m. on Saturday, September 18th, 2021. Police state they were they believe that they were victims of a targeted attack and were killed in mm-hmm. the building. Later that month, Kwok Tran's body was recovered at Twin Creeks Landfill and Environmental Center in Watford, Ontario, after a very lengthy search in September and October of 2021. Christie's body still has not been found um, and police have searched like that specific landfill and another landfill in the U.S. that they had Mm -hmm. investigated. Um, Investigators say they believe the victims and the suspect were known to one another. I would assume so, too, if it was targeted. Yeah. Investigative Services Superintendent Rhonda Corsi said in 2023 that she believes a firearm was used in the attacks but could not confirm that they were both killed by gunshot wounds since Christie's body has not yet been found. A man named Ricaldo LaBird has already been arrested and charged with two counts of accessory after the fact in connection with this investigation. Um, according to police, Fong Tan Nguyen is five foot nine inches tall, weighs 180 pounds. He has a medium build, short. Uh, he is short, black hair, and brown eyes. <laughs> That's what it says. He's a medium build and he's short. Black hair, brown eyes. Um, yeah, five nine for a guy isn't super tall. So, no. More information about. Nguyen, his $50,000 reward, and how to submit tips can be found at boloprogram.com slash Nguyen. Um, the offer is also available in cooperation with 1-800-222-TIPS. That's not, there's really no update there other than the, the police are still very much uh, looking for A reward is offered, though, and you know what? Money makes people come forward because... Mm-hmm. Risk reward basically are needed, so. the biggest thing is that a reward here has been offered. It yeah. is being offered in conjunction with the Bolo program. Um, the Bolo program or be on the lookout so cool. encourages citizens to keep an eye out for Canada's most wanted and to submit tips to police if they have any information. Uh, Rhonda Corsi said of their partnership with the Bolo program, quote, this program and their innovative strategies have the ability to reach international dis- destinations if seen, once again, do not approach Nguyen and call 911 immediately. Um, but that's really the update on that one. Yeah, the Bolo project to me is just like such a cool idea, especially how they have like mobile billboards where they drive around with updated rewards, mm-hmm. photos of people, um, like wanted posters essentially digitally scrolling. So. The awareness is out there, too, especially for the demographic of people who maybe don't sit at a computer a lot or aren't on their phones. Like, I just think it's a really neat idea. Yeah. 
But yeah, I just wanted to highlight that one again um, because the police seem like they have some information and they just need a little bit more. Um, and they're very much still actively looking for tips in that case. So again, I will leave that information in the episode description. Now, I don't know why I saved this one for last. I really like didn't even want to give it the time of day, but I felt... Well, I have a short one after, so it's not going to be last, okay. so... I felt it was necessary. But now I'm curious what it is. Our very first episode ever to air on December 29th, 2020, was the murder of Lacey Peterson and her unborn son, Connor Peterson. Uh, this original episode has been taken down. The case was recovered by Katie on December 28th of 2021. Very in-depthly, I might add. So if you're looking for information on that case for whatever reason, um, you can go back and listen to I that. I can't believe you're talking about this. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, look, it's a case update. It really is. So It is. And I know where you're going, essentially. But, like, again, I you shocked me by going in the way way back machine to so far so i'm just like enamored by what you're telling me mm -hmm. all day well since we covered the case even in december of 2021 when it was recovered there have been a lot of things happening in the scott peterson <laughs> case um so as a little update scott was initially found guilty and sentenced to death for the murder of his wife lacy and unborn son connor prosecutors in the case didn't have much forensic or like physical evidence, but they were able to convince a jury of his guilt with a, I'm going to say, very large amount of circumstantial evidence. And I'm not going to go into what it all and is. A cute, um, and a key player that helped, as in Miss Fry. That and like so many, there's just so many other things. Like there's so many yeah. other things in that there's case. So many moving parts. Nobody's ever going to convince me that he's not guilty, but moving on. <clears throat> Again, I don't think he's not guilty, but I don't think he got a fair trial. That was my only stance on sure. it, really, at the end of the day. Sure. So prosecutors allege that his motive for murder was to escape married life and upcoming fatherhood. He was found to have engaged in multiple affairs, including, of course, uh, with Amber Frey. Fry? Fry. Fry. Who came forward during the investigation. Uh, Lacey Peterson was reported missing from the couple's Modesto, California home on December 24th, 2020, uh, 2002. Sorry. Um, and the affair with Amber Fry began, according to her, on November 20th, 2002, after mm -hmm. Scott Peterson had told her he was single. Lacey's body was found. He said he was a widow. Yeah. He said he was a friggin' widow. Lacey's body was found on April 14th, 2002, and Connor was found on April 13th. Lacey had been dumped in the Berkeley Marina, which is the same place where Scott had taken his new fishing boat that day. Or his new yep. boat Scott fishing boat. got up, decided he was not going to go golfing because the weather was crummy, yet decided fishing was a great option because the weather is crummy. Yeah. Again, there's just too much. There's too much. Yeah. A jury sentenced Scott Peterson to death in November 2004 after 12 hours of deliberations. Um, the California Supreme Court overturned that sentence in 2020 if, after it was found that potential jurors were erroneously dismissed for saying they objected to the death penalty. However, the conviction itself was upheld and he was resentenced to life without the possibility of parole and taken off death row. Scott requested a new trial, but it was ultimately rejected in 2022. In his appeal, Scott Peterson alleged that his trial was tainted by a juror who lied about her history of abuse. Um, and he is currently in the process of appealing the decision to deny him a new trial. Of course he is. So now for the update. Yep. It was recently reported that the Los Angeles Innocence Project, which has no affiliation with the National Innocence Project, has now taken the 51-year-old's case 20 years after he was sentenced to death for the murder of Lacey and Connor. Uh, so the LA Innocence Project is based out of California State University, and it claims that new evidence supports Peterson's claim of innocence, and raises questions about who abducted and killed Lacey and Connor. 
though it isn't entirely clear what this new evidence actually is. Um, they claim that there's unreleased evidence. It's got to be pretty substantial, guys. It has It has to be. Like, it claims that there's unreleased evidence in the case, including several unnamed witnesses, uh, which could help prove Scott's innocence. In its motion for post-conviction discovery, the LA Innocence Project alleges that Peter's, quote, claim of actual innocence, end quote, could be supported by its own review and evidence that was not shared with his defense before trial. Uh, it is requesting records of police interviews with potential witnesses, photographs and video, and tips shared with investigators. Um, in the court filing... They say, quote, in the course of LAIP's review and after some preliminary investigation, it became apparent to me that numerous items referred to throughout the police reports in Mr. Peterson's case were not included in the discovery that was provided to the, fen- the defense at the time of trial um, and essentially just say that they're seeking evidence from the 2004 trial that they had been unable to find amongst trial files from his defense team they're Hmm. also contending or like sucks they can't find files yeah peterson's attorneys contend that the burglary across the street from the couple's home uh that happened at the time of lacy's lacy's disappearance might be linked to her murder and the filing also seeks information about whether a burned out van near the modesto airport was connected to the burglary in a no. separate motion. The, it wasn't. Yeah. And even if it was, it had nothing to do with Lacey, mm-hmm. so who cares? Mm-hmm. In a separate motion, the LAIP requested that DNA testing be performed on bloodstains found on a mattress in the van. Um, yeah. I'm over Scott Peterson. I know. And I actually tried to, like, be very, like, neutral when I was doing that case specifically because I know my entire life I've grown up with everyone around me saying, oh, fuck Scott Peterson, which I agree. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to go in it like just get all the facts and then have my honest opinion at the end. So I feel like I gave him some grace. You gave it an honest college try. And this guy is just taking up too much brain space now for us. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I just wanted... It's a case update. I wanted to highlight oh, that agree. this is still occurring. But, like, I'm over just it, too. Um, I just feel like there's too much. And the second he dyed his hair and tried to flee to Mexico, I was like, you're He looks like you're Dean Cain. You're done. Like, I just can't look at him without imagining that at any moment he's going to turn around and start hosting Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah, there's just a lot there. And, like, telling your mistresses that your wife is dead when she's, like, very much alive, carrying your child. When he was, like, telling other people around him that she had died, too, to make the story work. Mm -hmm. Like, and then talking on the phone to her, like, at the search, like, wake for Lacey. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's New Year's in, like, Paris or whatever. It's so loud. I'm sorry. No. You're at a memorial for your dead wife that you murdered. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So anyway, that's the update. The L.A. Innocence Project has now taken on the case, which just makes my stomach turn. Um, I just feel like her family is just living this nightmare forever. Yeah, there's no way around it. And I like, just there's personally no relief for them. don't think that there are that many coincidences. Like, I understand the circumstantial evidence is exactly that circumstantial, but go listen to the episode. Go listen to any episode on the Lacey Peterson case. Yeah, watch the documentary, watch the Lifetime movie. Any of them. Any of it. There's just too much, and I don't think there are... That's what I mean. Even if it's cheesy, you're still going to agree. Never that many coincidences. It's It's not possible. No. So, anyway, that's my case updates. I know there was maybe not as much actual resolutions as we might have liked but i'm very happy that byron carr's case has been solved and that we're able to kind of shed shed some light on some of these other cases that still need our help yep but what do you got for me mine isn't very good either in theory um we spoke about the store the case of chantelle moore Mm -hmm. 
on her front porch after moving into a new apartment um, by an Edmonton police officer. And that's Edmondson, not Edmonton, right. just for everyone's, because I said that quickly. You covered Chantel more recently. It was October 3rd, 2023. Oh, okay. Well, either way, I want to do this update just because yeah. it's a slap in the face to the family. Okay. Um, so the family had already filed a lawsuit um, against the police department and the city. Um, but recent statements have come out that the constable now is claiming that it's completely Chantel's fault. She caused her own death. She should have known the repercussions of approaching an officer and brandishing a weapon. Um, as well as that, like, her family's defense is saying that they didn't adequately train police officers to approach, A, these situations, and B, these situations with in people of Indigenous heritage. Mm -hmm. um, and that more training needs to be put in place. Um but the officer that was involved, who, again, was about twice Chantel's size, and she was sleeping in her new apartment and was startled. And I don't think that any of us could say that that was, I don't know, I don't think it was an inappropriate response if I was startled to approach a man at my door with a weapon, personally. Um but he does go on to say that, again, brandishing a weapon and approaching an officer, she knew the repercussions and that this should be completely on her and that he approached the balcony appropriately and adequately in a safe manner. Um, but yeah, it's just a complete slap in the face when the family's trying to get her case updated to mm -hmm. show that there's some responsibility, even if it's just in a course of action moving forward Absolutely. from police officers yep. in training. Him saying that it's completely her fault and that it's reckless of her behavior and that's why she's dead now. Like, you're still alive. Yeah, you're fine, buddy. Yeah. And he's not the only officer to kill no. a person in that area. No. There was a gentleman also killed and he was also killed by police officers. Yeah. It's just disgusting. And, like, getting away with it and not... Claiming any responsibility means there will be no change moving forward. You know what I mean? Like, getting away with yep. being able to be like, nope, it was her fault means that, like, nothing's going to change. I mean, let's hope with the lawsuit her family has, because it's not closed yet, that we see some change. But I completely agree. I don't think we're going to see anything come of it. That's awful. Yeah. Um... The only other update that I had was... You and I spoke about Harley Lawrence in Nova Scotia, and he was the homeless gentleman that his community adored, mm -hmm. and he was recklessly set on fire in a bus stop. The two men who admitted to doing it were sentenced uh, to life with no parole for 18 to 20 years, but it has come up on just the memorial of it, and his community wants to bring awareness to homelessness as an overall... Um, need in our communities for more support yeah but they also want to acknowledge that even since he's passed harley is still a loved member of their community he's still thought of remembered um and that he is just such a unique person who people love to see on a day-to-day -day basis in their small town and he was well loved and you know what? That's actually a really good segment. I just thought about it as you were talking about bringing awareness to people experiencing homelessness and things like that. Um, actually, at the end of this week on February 24th, it is the coldest night of the year, of the year. in Canada. So uh, this is something that occurs on February 24th, 2024. Um, and the coldest night of the year is often held in like many communities like there's going to be one where i live so you can definitely there's look one where i live yeah you can definitely yeah. look if you're in canada and see if there is something like this happening in your area but it's essentially a walk to raise money for local charities serving people experiencing um hurt hunger and homelessness um but yeah it is called the coldest night of the year and this year it's going to be happening on saturday but yeah, it's not just about raising money. It's also, like Katie said, about raising, raising awareness, awareness for um, people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, yeah. 
So if you are interested in getting involved, definitely look in your local community to see if you can find a walk. Um, even if you don't aren't able to donate, just going on the walk and learning and you can also walk even if you can't get to the location mm-hmm. you can register you can fundraise you can spread awareness yeah. and you can take part in the walk elsewhere um yeah it's just like it looks like it starts around 4 p.m you check in by 5 p.m you're off on your walk at 6 p.m you have a little light snack and then by 7 you go home and you have a wonderful evening and you continue conversations about what's going on in our town and our communities and how we can make a difference. Yeah, and I think the a big point of it as well when you're walking and it's cold is to get like a better understanding of the experience of being on the street in the winter, mm-hmm. especially in places in Canada where it's like really, really cold. Even here where we're considered to have mild weather, like it can get really, really, really cold and a lot of us just can't even like very damp understand too, yeah. what that feels like um and so it's mm-hmm. just a time to to really think about those people and what they're going through and what we can do and mm-hmm. yeah and there's also a 2k and a 5k walk option so if you don't feel like you could do the full five you could do the two um it's just about getting involved mm-hmm that's it that is our case updates for yeah i mean not really 2023 they're just we covered a lot of solved cases in 2023 um from what i yeah, noticed in and general also a lot of like we did the um highway of tears which there really hasn't been much progress in any of those cases that i could find um, we spoke with megan one week so that wasn't even a case we so did. yeah so we just did a variety of things yeah and if if there's anything that we missed um please let us know we can always do like a part two of this as well actually there is one thing that i wanted to bring up hold on shoot i really want to find this is it done oh here we go So one other thing, um, it's just in reference to the Jonathan Bruce case that we covered, which is actually the case that was on the local news that Katie was talking about um, Mm -hmm. earlier. And it's funny because it was on their local news at the time the episode (laughs) released, but we never saw it. We never saw that at all. I just came (laughs) across it recently. Um, So I sent it to Katie, but we did have somebody email us who actually suggested that case initially to us um and she did let us know that unfortunately jonathan bruce's best friend um actually passed away from an overdose on november 27th of 2023 this happened just uh days after jonathan's 10-year memorial and he was a big front runner in the justice for jonathan campaign his friends were huge in his campaign Mm -hmm. yeah And this person just says that, like, she knows he never got over Jonathan's death or the lack of forward movement on the case. um, When everyone is, like, really confident who they know the real killer was. So no justice or arrests have taken place in Jonathan's case. And I just wanted to share that our hearts go out to Jonathan's family and his best friend's family and everybody in that community who's still really hurting over that case and the fact that there has been no justice when um every- if anything there's just more loss associated to the case now yeah. like it's indirectly related because it's like an extension but yeah it's just so much sadness around that one case yeah so i guess i'll end it on a really sad note <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you really didn't want to end on Scott Peterson, but you want to end it on that? Okay. Yeah, well, I didn't even want to talk about Scott Peterson to begin with, but it was That's an true. update. That's true. Let's not give so it any more time. I felt, I felt like I would put it in, I guess. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Yeah, we will be back next. Well, that's our cases. Yeah, we will be back next week. Uh, If you do walk for the coldest night of the year, post it on Instagram and tag us so we can see you. Um, We'll definitely be sharing those if we see them. Um, And we will talk to you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay.
Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.